This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. You're listening to South Dakota Unlimited, the podcast for the average sportsman here in the 605 where we talk everything hunting, fishing, conservation, rules and regs, and anything else that impacts you as a sportsman in the 605. Hosted by C.J. Peters. Now let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of South Dakota Unlimited. I hope you all are doing well as this winter starts to wind down a little bit, especially after the recent cold weather, and I mean brutally cold weather. These sunny days with a little higher temps have us all hoping for the thaw to get done and over with, even though we all know we're bound to have a March-April blizzard like we do every year. That is, unless, of course, you're a diehard ice fisherman, and more power to you, uh, who brave the cold weathers even when we were down below zero. That is not my cup of tea, so props to you. Uh, in that case, this warm weather is the bane of your existence. Uh, it's almost impossible to separate the state of South Dakota from the image of fishing, some big walleye, and some South Dakota gold. For those of you who aren't familiar, that is perch. That's why on today's show I brought on the Dakota angler himself, Mr. Todd from Dakota Angler. Todd is a definite staple in the fishing industry, not only in South Dakota, but also in this tri-state area. This is an awesome episode where we'll talk some late season ice tactics and the uh, early open water that will be on us sooner than we know it even some on the missouri river already so we'll get to it just a little disclaimer i am not even close to being a fishing expert and especially an ice fishing expert so bear with me and some of my questions if you think you're stupid and if you claim to be an expert but there are is some awesome info that could uh, help you get on some fish this time of year and here in the near future so anyway enough of me let's get todd on the line and let's get started Hi Todd, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. Uh, how's the how's the weather here in Sioux Falls? Well, you know, uh, it's uh, a lot better than what it was the past couple of weeks before with the cold snap. Uh, you know, temperatures are back to uh, normal and even above normal for this time of year, and and that's definitely got a lot of people talking around here as far as ice conditions are concerned. Yeah, I'm sure they're changing uh, extensively, and you know, as the warmer weather's hit, we're looking more towards the open open water fishing that's coming up, but. That's bittersweet, depending on who you are. Well, that's exactly right. For a lot of people, uh, they look forward to the ice season for, for many, many months. Uh, and other people are obviously right now looking forward to the open water season. But, you know, the ice season is so short to begin with. And then when we had a winter like what we've had with some, you know, late ice conditions and then uh, finally got the cold weather in. But now with the warmer weather, it's shortening the ice season that much more. Uh, I know the, the ice lovers are, are crying just a little bit today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much to change the conditions a lot to make it almost unfishable. How's the fishing been for you? Have you been finding time to get out? I, you know, being uh, you know the owner of the of Dakota Angler, and then also being uh, you know a full time job with the, the National Weather Service, my my opportunities to get out uh, on the ice are somewhat limited. It depends on the weather, and and obviously the even the weatherman is affected by the weather and being able to get out and it, it has uh, impacted me this year i haven't gotten out as much as i would like to uh but still able to get out a few times and had some uh, some good you know good times out on the ice with my uh, with my two boys that's awesome got some big ones well yeah i won't say anything uh that would be you know uh a proud angler or anything like that uh, anytime we can uh, catch fish uh it's a success but uh, i you know my boys are adults now and uh, so anytime the three of us can get together out on the ice or out in the boat uh, i'm just happy with the the time that we can get away from everything else 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the best part about anything outdoors really is just getting out there with family and friends. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Speaking of big fish, how about that new state record walleye that was cut, uh, speared this year, I guess, or this yeah, week? Yeah, you know, it's a new spearing record. Uh, you know, nice looking fish to say the least. Uh, those fish don't come around very often. That's why they're a record. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just a nice looking fish and congrats to, to the gentleman that got it. Yeah, that thing was massive, what, 31 and a half inches or something like that. So unrestricted, does that mean that it was caught in, you know, speared? What's the difference, I guess? I don't know what the unrestricted part means. Well, there, yeah, there's uh, two different records, one spearing and one uh, not, uh, you know, one with hook and line. And so that's where it really comes in with, uh, I, I don't know the true definition of the unrestricted tag on it, mm-hmm. uh, but there, the South Dakota does have two separate records. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that. I'm not a huge, you know, I love to fish, but I'm not all into that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit, you mentioned you do uh, your full-time jobs with the national weather service and, uh, but you're also the owner of Dakota angler. So, um, how'd you get started? When did you start it? I guess I don't even know that. And, uh, kind of talk about well, that a little bit. Well, I've been, you know, a meteorologist, uh, I, well, I'm a native of Southwest Minnesota. Uh, and uh, I started my weather service career uh, as a meteorologist in 1987, and I moved to Sioux Falls in 1994 and uh, have been serving as a meteorologist in charge for this office here in Sioux Falls uh, for the past three or four years now. Uh, 20 years ago, in, 19, in 2001, I opened Dakota Angler, uh, and thinking that it was just going to be you know, a short-time uh, deal, short-term uh, business venture. It's turned into 20 years. It's been an opportunity to raise my family, raise my, my two boys, my daughter uh, in a, a business environment. And uh, I can say, you know, it's been a pleasure uh, to see how Dakota Angler has flourished through the years and also to see how my family has, um, you know, a better appreciation, let's say, of, uh, of running a business uh, in, you know, in today's economy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. You guys are definitely a staple in this tri-state area now. It's uh, it's really cool to see uh, small town business, you know, I'm more of a, like a small town business guy anyway. So I try to support the small town businesses rather than like, you know, Shields has got a good store, but you know, it, it's the, you guys that we need to support. So, well, um, you know, it's, uh, the, the mom and pop businesses are, are becoming fewer and fewer. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this past year with the pandemic, uh, obviously a lot of my Counterparts in other parts of uh, the upper Midwest uh, in other states were adversely affected uh, far more than what I ever have been. Uh, and uh, many of them had to close their doors. And so uh, growing up in Southwest Minnesota, I can remember the mom and pop bait shops that we used to go to in Worthington and Folda and uh, just, uh, you know, and you, they're all over the place. And you look t- in today's world, they're not all over the place anymore. It's hard to compete with the big box stores. Uh, there's nothing against the big box stores or anything like that, but there's still something to be said for a mom and pop uh, bait and tackle store where you can walk in and uh, you know the people know you by name. Uh, they, they use the equipment that they sell. Uh, also, they, you can ask them what the ice conditions are or what the fishing report is, all that information. It can be found in one spot. So there's, uh, again, I hope in years to come that uh, we don't lose that uh, mom and pop experience. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there's something to be said about walking into the store and, and someone like you, Todd, recognizing who you are and, and you keep so up to date with the current conditions and everything like you just, you just can't beat it. Uh, and then you started. So on top of starting Dakota Angler in 2001 in 2008, you started something that was really cool too. That's like an awesome, awesome resource for anybody in this area. Um, just briefly kind of a talk about that. We could do a whole episode just on this itself, but go ahead and briefly talk about what you got started in 2008. I assume you're talking about the Ice Institute. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Ice Institute uh, started back in 2008, and it's hard to believe that we're, you know, uh, where we are with that as well. Uh, it started out to be just an opportunity to showcase people, uh, the, our customers, uh, fish ice fishermen, what was the latest in the ice fishing industry, and uh, also an opportunity for people to learn how to use it, listen to some of the experts, some of the professional fishermen that use the equipment, uh, so that when people walked out the door, when they, let's say, bought a camera, they knew exactly what they were getting into and how to use it properly. Uh, that first year, that in 2008, when we started that, uh, I had roughly, I want to say, 40 or 50 people that attended the event. And 
we had folding chairs and uh, for a certain amount of people, and I forget how many people we had uh, the chairs for, and uh, we had to pull out five-gallon buckets to sit on uh, because we had uh, too many people uh, than chairs. And people are like, well, people be upset sitting on five-gallon buckets. And I was like, heck no, these are ice fishermen. They sit on five-gallon buckets on, on the ice all the time. And, uh, but after that year, um, my wife and I had a serious conversation on whether or not we wanted to continue uh, the Ice Institute because it was such a, a great amount of work. At that point in time, anyway, I thought it was such a great amount of work. And whether or not it was going to, uh, you know, worth continuing. And uh, uh, we decided to go one more year, and it continued to grow after that. Uh, we had uh, to change locations multiple times. And now it is at the Sioux Falls Arena Convention Center. Uh, this, <clears throat> excuse me, we had, uh, this year was our third year there. It will be uh, our fourth year in 2021. And uh, we are now the second largest ice fishing show in the country, uh, which is absolutely hard to believe and blows my mind. And uh, I, like I said, when I sit back there and think of uh, that, I was complaining on how much work it was in 2008. Boy, if I only knew how much work it was in, in 2020, <laughs> maybe I would have stopped a long time ago. But that, that's kind of like my third job, uh, to say the least. It's not not just a, a one month deal, not a one week deal. It is, a, it is a full year long job trying to find people that want to attend the, the event, making sure that everything works as well as it possibly can. And 2020 was an, an exception. I mean, we had to deal with the pandemic and we were the only ice show across the entire country that had it. And uh, thankfully it was pulled off uh, without any hitches. No one got sick and uh, we just had a great time. and. Uh, again, we look forward to what uh, the good Lord has for us uh, in mind for the, the upcoming years with, with the Institute. Yeah, absolutely. That was, it's so cool to see like a mom and pop shop like your own that just started this. You had a dream and you chased it and, and it just became, like you said, the second largest ice show in the nation. That's fantastic. Uh, and it's a really cool that, show. And that's, you know, the big difference between us and all the other shows is that we, are, you know, all the inventory that is at the Institute uh, is my inventory. Uh, it's not, the show is not being put on by a promoter where, you know, the St. Paul Ice Show, the Fargo Ice Show, uh, you name it, they're all being put on by promoters. They have no stock uh, in the ice fishing industry. And, and so, uh, again, that's something that we want to hold on to because, again, we want to make sure that people see us as the, the home of uh, ice fishing uh, and also at the same time to show people that we're trying to give something back to the community. I always thought that it would be great to be able to have a uh, ice fishing show in, in the city of Sioux Falls and so far we pulled it off and it's uh, not only th you know due to the work that I've done but due to the work my family has done I, without them I couldn't uh, couldn't pull it off but also the support of the community and the customers people continued to show up and uh, again we continue to feel blessed because of that absolutely I mean you can't talk about ice fishing in South Dakota without talking about Dakota anglers so um, it, it's fantastic and and uh it's just awesome to see, like I said, a, a small mom and pop shop grow to what it has been. And, and uh, we hope to continue to support you and, and hopefully you can keep bringing us the awesome, uh, awesome information that you do every year. So thank you for that. Well, we appreciate that. And I appreciate the kind comments. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into this. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about for those listening, a little bit of late ice fishing. And, and as we're talking here in the next, well, even, I guess, the Missouri is almost opening up already a little bit, do a little bit of open water fishing. So we'll touch on some late season ice fishing, do a little early open water fishing and kind of see where it takes us. Um, so I guess what would you, going into the late season ice fishing, let's talk about how would you rate this time of year um, based, you know, kind of going, comparing early ice fishing you know, for our first ice, you know, kind of middle season when people say it's some of the hardest time. How would you rate this time of year, the late season ice, as far as fishing goes? Well, I think it only gets better. Uh, you know, we're coming out of the winter doldrums. You know, a lot of people say, well, why does, you know, the past couple of weeks, why has fishing been so tough? Well, it notoriously is this time of year anyway, because of what we call the winter doldrums. And uh, it's no different than the dog days of summer. Uh, you know, when you're talking about August or whatever, where it's a little bit tougher to, to find those active fish. It's the same thing at this time of year. And and so it only gets better from here on out. Uh, the, the constant struggle is not only finding those active fish and finding 
where they're at, but also dealing with the ice conditions too. Uh, very comparable to early ice that, uh, you know, you, you got to be careful out there. And you always have to be careful no matter what. Uh, but uh, in the early ice, those fish, you know, they're eager. They're, they're putting on the winter feed bag. So it's, doesn't, it, you have a really good bite uh, at that point in time. Now, they're, a lot of these fish are getting ready to spawn. They're preparing themselves. So they're going to start to feed a, a little bit more aggressively. Uh, so that's the advantage that we have this time of year. As long as you can get out to the fish, uh, you should have some good success. Uh, but I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. There's never a guarantee <laughs> when it comes to fishing. Uh, but again, you get a little bit more water circulation in these lakes as well. You get a lot of runoff that goes on. And they, so it starts oxygenating the, the lakes a little bit more. And when, you, when the fish have a little bit more oxygen, just like we do, uh, you become a little bit more active. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time of year. So when you're saying, what are, are all species getting ready to spawn? What would you say, you know, or I think the perch is coming up here pretty soon and walleye is obviously getting ready here pretty quick. Um, talk about kind of some of these pre-spawn fishing and, and kind of what activities they're doing, what waters they're moving into um, and what they're looking for exactly. Yeah, it's really hard to hard to say that because of the fact that in many of our lakes in South Dakota, they're dishpan lakes. There's no structure or anything like that. But there's there's certain uh, you know uh, uh, spawning periods or spawning uh, routines that these fish will go through. Uh, so a lot of times, they, let's say the past couple of months, they were uh, in deeper water. Now they're going to start moving up into a little bit more shallower. Uh, regiment. Now the the walleyes, you know, typically they don't spawn underneath the ice. That's they can, but again, typically the you know the water temperature is going to have to be in the mid 40s before they start to spawn. Uh, but this is where you start catching those monster perch, though too. You, you get a lot of perch that have these uh, big fat bellies. They're full of eggs, and that's why a lot of people uh, will uh, make comments on social media or anything like that when they see photos of big perch being caught. They would like them re released because those perch have a lot of eggs in them, and that's you're talking about the future resources uh, in, in coming years. But uh, so, I mean, let, let's take Lake Thompson for an example. A lot of times with the crappies, uh, they will be moving back and forth from, uh, let's say, Schaefer Slough to, to the main lake of Lake Thompson. And so there's a, like a, a, a crappie highway, so to speak. Uh, and there's going to be different highways and different species and different lakes. And so that's the challenge that you need to have is that if you're if you a person has fished a body of water for a period of time, they know exactly where those highways are located and the times of years that those uh, fish are located there. If you ha aren't familiar with it, the best thing you can do is just to keep popping holes uh, and trying to find where those fish are located. And it may change during the day. You know, obviously, uh, you know, during the day, uh, the walleye transition is going to be a little bit different than what it is after uh, after sunset because you know they're more nocturnal they're going to be moving around looking for those uh, looking for that bait so the challenge is just coming up with that little knowledge that you need to have or sometimes can have uh, on that particular body of water that you're on and so when you're talking about the depths and the highways that are moving through like Lake Thompson's obviously a very deep lake it's you know it's one of the deepest lakes in the this side of the state is it the depth kind of relative to where they like what the lake is if the average depth of the lake is say like 18 feet and then we go to a different lake the average depth is 12 feet so is that really relative kind of depend on where they're at and where they're suspending or where they're traveling yeah that's exactly right and also on the food source uh you know fish are always looking you know to eat obviously and so they're going to be hanging out in the areas where the, there's a little bit more oxygen a little bit more food uh, and then also, again, they're a creature of habit. So they're going to go back to their natural spawning grounds that where they've always uh, have been to. And that's going to just continue to be that pattern from here on out. Okay. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So when you're talking about this pre-spawn and the spawn, let's, let's look about perch specifically, because those are the ones that are really coming in. Where do perch like to spawn and, and what are they feeding on this time of year? Well, again, uh, it depends on that lake, uh, that body of water. But a lot of times they're they're fishing on, uh, feeding on uh, insects, or you know, I can't even think of the technical term that uh, is being used. But they'll be nudging their noses on the bottom and digging up all the the, the insects and everything else that are you're finding at that point in time uh, that uh, they'll they'll feed on. Uh, they will also feed on minnows if there's minnows that are available to them or uh, at that point in time. But they're going to typically uh, spawn in sand, uh, any gravel or anything like that. Uh, they're all going to be very similar to what the walleyes do, but the walleyes are obviously very much more uh, in a rocky type of situation or 
uh, shallower water. The perch can uh, can spawn, uh, lay their spawn uh, in any location, but uh, again, the sandier bottoms seem to work out best uh, for the perch, and that's why many of our lakes uh, have you know our natural spawners in other areas that uh, other lakes are not good uh, are not conducive for perch spawn, and so they have to be stocked all the time. And so when we're fishing this, I guess this kind of perch, uh, the perch spawn, what would you say is like the hot bait to go to? Is it just like a jig head with a minnow on it or are you looking for spoons or is it just literally what they're biting that day, what they're feeding on because it varies so much what they're looking for lake to lake? Yeah, that's the whole challenge that you have is trying to figure out what uh, is going on because you, you, you have other things that are coming into play as well. Uh, again, oxygen, uh, weather. Weather plays a huge role uh, this time of year. And, uh, you know, if the pressure's high, just like what we had, you know, two weeks ago with the cold, extreme cold weather, the pressure was so high, uh, the fish were not active. They were very negative. Uh, they would come up and look at your bait and go right back down. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hit that, uh, that bait. Now, one way you could uh, change that around a little bit is maybe a person needs to downsize. So, again, you need to look at all these different clues that are around you at that point in time to determine what is the best lure. Also, uh, uh, if you catch a fish, you know, especially with perch, a lot of times they will start coughing up uh, the things that they're feeding on at that point in time. Take a look at that. And then basically what we say is match the hatch or match, match the puke, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to see what's going on, uh, you know, and, and pick out a lure that's, uh, that replicates that. It could be live bait. Uh, or it could be, you know, a plastic. And I always keep plastics in my tackle box. I'm always a live bait uh, fisherman first uh, and then uh, adjust accordingly. If they're not liking the live bait uh, on that day, I'm going to try to switch it up to either a middle head or, or even go to a plastic. What kind of plastics are you looking at? Is it just like the uh, little, oh gosh, I can't think of, kind of the main body with the, the rooster tail or, or the ribbon tail on the end or what kind of soft well, plastics? Well, I mean, there's, there's all, there's all different types of plastics. I mean, I, you're too young to remember this, you know, the creepy crawler machine, uh, you know, what I used to make, uh, when I was growing up, you had making little plastics with legs that look, they were just little creatures. I mean, that's what you're seeing now in the plastics area is that, uh, if you, you know, a lot of times it's just maybe just a little bit of a tail, uh, off that jig is enough to, you know, to, enhance that, you know, and finesse that bite. Uh, in other cases, it may need to uh, replicate that creepy crawler that's on the bottom of that, that lake. So the, the legs uh, are something that offers a little bit more action to it. So again, there's no 100% guarantee of what plastic to use. And that's why, again, uh, we sell so many plastics at Dakota Angler. It's not like, uh, or so many different jigs. It's not like one thing is going to work all the time and you need to have all the different uh, options available to you uh, depending on the situation. So would you say, so I, I, you know, I don't do a ton of ice fishing. I do some. Would you say soft plastics is kind of coming more onto the scene over the last decade or so? When did soft plastics really start hitting hard? Because I know like, I'm, I'm mostly a, a largemouth bass fisherman. I love to fish like the Mississippi River and, and those pools over there. But, and I just have like four or five tackle boxes specifically just for soft plastics. And so when did those really start coming onto the scene and, and really gain some movement? Or, or is it still in the in the process of getting to be the, to that point? I don't think plastics are anywhere close to uh, as popular in the wintertime and during the ice season as what they are in the, in the, in the summertime. Uh, and it's, and I don't know why, because again, whatever works in the summertime is going to work in the wintertime. Uh, there, there's no difference. Uh, if uh, a plastic works in uh, on a particular situation in the summer, it's going to work in the same situation in the, during the ice season. But there's more and more people that are using plastics. There's more and more companies that are coming out with plastics. I mean, clam, Tackle has all kinds of plastics, uh, Mackie plastics, uh, that uh, are different situations for various different types of fish. Uh, so all I can tell you is that the plastics are pretty inexpensive. They never go bad. And as you said, you have a couple of tackle boxes uh, full of plastics. And I don't see there's any reason why not to have uh, plenty of plastics in your tackle box in the wintertime as well. Because again, as much as I would love to say that live bait works all the time, uh, it may not always work, and uh, you need to be prepared. You, if you got, if you etched out your day, carved out a, a day on your calendar to allow you to go fishing, 
you don't want to have the fact that you don't have all your options in your toolbox or your in your arsenal ready and to be used that day. You, know, you don't want to say, oh, I only bought, brought plastics out today and now they're biting on minnows and I don't have any minnows. Well, again, bait and plastics are probably going to be the two uh, cheapest parts of your trip at that point in time. And, and so I guess when you're using the plastics, do you put them on a jig head or do you throw them on a spoon or you just kind of keep changing up, like keep moving? I mean, the name of the game in fishing is just find what works and use it. And so it, is that a common thing? Do you throw it on like a spoon at all or do you just keep mostly with jig heads and then tungsten heads? Again, it depends on the presentation you're looking for. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if you're looking for a, uh, or a horizontal presentation, you don't want to use a spoon. You'll want to use a jig and then uh, some type of tail off that jig. Uh, if you're looking for, a, you know, a spoon, a vertical presentation, uh, then, you know, you could use anything that replicates like a minnow head. Uh, and there's some plastics out there that, that do that. Uh, so, again, it, it's really all key to that. But most of the time, when people use plastics, it's going to be off some type of jig, some horizontal presentation uh, that will allow that uh, plastic to be more natural and swim uh, with that jig when a person is sitting there jigging it. Mm -hmm. And so does that work? That works well for the perch and their spawn and also for walleye. And then how does that cross over to panfish too, I guess? Well, again, you know, uh, the only thing that is different it's about you know fish uh no matter what the species is is maybe you're gonna have to downsize the jig or what i say is downsize the hook size uh in many cases the, the jig size isn't the, the problem it's the hook size that if you have a size two hook uh you may not be able to catch that panfish that bluegill uh but <clears throat> excuse me but you know, people need to remember when it comes to crappie crappie they have a huge mouth they can just inhale uh any uh, size jig just as much as what a walleye can in some cases but uh, the the main thing is that uh, target the fish using the jigs that you're most comfortable with but also don't be afraid to change it up and that's where I see the biggest problem in in, in today's not only just today's but in all fishermen uh, that I have a you uh, know store full of tackle uh, and I always say that 90% of that tackle is there to catch fishermen not necessarily fish <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because it, it, it there's i can guarantee you that if i sell you a brand new lure and saying it's it, this thing is just hot as can be you put it on and in 15 20 minutes you're not catching a fish you gravitate back to a lure that you have more confidence in at that point in time and people will naturally fall back to that jig or that lure or that crankbait whatever it may be based upon the history of success that they've had with that presentation and so we need to kind of be willing to shed off those experiences and to allow ourselves to fail once in a while, but not, and also realize that just because it failed once doesn't mean it's going to fail a second time to go back to it, to explore different options, because those fish are not going to bite on the same thing every single time that you go out there. But that's where most people fail is that they use the same thing. If it worked yesterday, by God, it's going to work today and the next day. Not always the case. There's a lot of truth in that. I, I, I can definitely say that I'm guilty about buying a ton of new, I'm a gear junkie and I buy new stuff all the time. And I always gravitate, especially when I'm open water fishing for bass, I always gravitate back towards crankbaits because I feel like I just love catching fish on crankbaits and I'm not a great fisher, fisherman of soft plastics. So I always gravitate back toward that because I know it better. Um, so you're definitely right about that. Um, so we kind of talked about, you know, the perch are coming into spawn a little bit. They're, they're hitting those sandy bottoms and they're feeding on whatever's available. Walleye uh, rock piles are obviously magnets for those. What about those, those guys who love the target panfish, you know, the crappie, the bluegill, um, where would you have them look? Or well, would you think, say that? Well, I think the main thing where they need to look is at the GFNP stocking websites, uh, the GFNP uh, in South Dakota, as well as many other States around the upper Midwest and across the nation offer stocking reports uh, and netting uh, surveys on their websites. And so to take a look at that as a first option uh, at what lake you're thinking about going to. If you're going to Lake XYZ uh, to fish bluegill and you look at uh, the stocking reports or the net sur surveys on that lake and you realize there's no bluegill there, well, why are you going to that lake to fish bluegill if there's no bluegill there? And that, that may sound pretty stupid, but it, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of people say, well, I wanted to go target perch and go to a lake where there's like no there's no perch there or the perch are very young and that you're not going to catch 
uh, you know, anything that's going to be big enough to keep. And that's where those surveys and those, those uh, reports really do come in handy as part of the planning process. Uh, so that planning process should start uh, before you actually, you know, hit the road or stop at your bait shop and ask, well, what, what do I need to, to buy to catch bluegill at that point in time? Because I can tell you uh, there's plenty of plastics out there, plenty of jigs, plenty of techniques to use to catch bluegill. But if you're in a lake that has small bluegill or no bluegill, there's no, no tool or anything that you can buy that will help you at that point in time. Right. Um, so there's a lot of people that are using those jigs for, for bluegill now, but I think one thing um, that I constantly go back to is, is the wax worms. I mean, when I, when I was started, first started ice fishing when I was in high school in, in Southwest Iowa, whenever we actually got good ice, which was not super often, we would just slam these bluegill on wax worms. Um, do you think a lot of people overlook that still and just go towards artificial or there's still a lot of people using those wax worms for that? Yeah. I mean, we sell plenty of wax worms and what we, and maggots are otherwise known as spikes. Uh, we sell a lot of that for pan fishermen, for the crappies, the perch, the bluegills. They're a great bait to have. Uh, but I think the biggest tool that people uh, are using nowadays uh, to catch panfish, especially when the bite is so light. And that's what we see lately with the, you know, with the perch and the bluegill and the crappie is cameras. Uh, underwater cameras have allowed uh, a person to be more effective and efficient with their time out there uh, because I, I've seen it many many times where uh, a fish will just inhale that bait, just suck the bait in, but your bobber doesn't move at all. And you don't know that you have a fish on unless you had a camera at that point in time that once you see that bait inhaled, you can set the hook. Uh, so uh, it's, it's good to have the bait that they like but it's also good to have the sensitive rod, the technology such as the camera, all those things come into play to help increase your success when you're out there on the ice. So, so forgive my ignorance. I, I've never used a camera and I've honestly just learned about them in the last couple of years. When you're using a camera, do you, you know, kind of drill two holes side by side, drop your line down one and drop your camera down the other and just kind of point it at that? Yeah. And what I do is that uh, in today's world, now we have a, a tripod uh, that allows you to turn that uh, camera 360 degrees. So it's it's basically like a surveillance camera, a security camera on your home or anything like that. And you can think of is that it's just look moving around looking for fish. And so you can see the fish coming in. And when you see a fish coming uh, close to your jig, uh, then you stop that camera from moving. And, and then you can see how that fish reacts, reacts to your presentation. If you're sitting there jigging and uh, it caused that fish to come in, but then that jigging causes it to scatter. Well, guess what? What does that tell you? Next time, jig to get the fish in, but, uh, but then stop jigging once the fish is there because they don't like that aggressive presentation on that particular day. Uh, so again, the, the, the cameras really, you know, they, when they first came out, a lot of people were thinking that uh, it was just a source of entertainment for their kids, you know, to keep the kids occupied. It still works that way, uh, but still you can... Uh, you can learn a lot uh, from watching that camera and how those fish react to your presentation and also to your bait. And so are those, so it sounds like kind of similar what you could do with a flasher, but you just get a lot more information from it. So are cameras coming along or do you think they're going to replace flashers or what's the relation with that? No, they will never replace flashers. Uh, you know, flashers will tell you exactly, you know, uh, where the fish are located, you know, what depth they're at and stuff like that. Won't tell you what type of fish they are. And, and that's what you, uh, uh, you know, what the camera will tell you is what type of fish are you looking at? Are you looking at a carp? Are you looking at a bullhead? Are you looking at a walleye? Whatever. You'll see that. And so uh, the advantage of the uh, depth finder is that it's looking at the entire water column uh, and where a camera is looking basically at one depth unless you have it looking, you know, downward. Uh, but again, basically you're looking at one depth. Also, the camera is the function of the clarity of the water. If the water is stained like the Lake of the Woods, uh, or any northern Minnesota lake, uh, the camera is basically useless at that point in time because it can't see very far. Where no matter what the clarity is with uh, of that water, that depth finder will always work. So I think you're going to see depth finders continue on. They're always going to get better and better. Uh, cameras, you know, what we've seen is that they continue to get better by the, uh, the clarity of the picture, uh, the high definition uh, that you have out there right now. So the, when you use both of them in conjunction with each other, the better off you are at that time. Yeah, I've seen you know, these videos uh, of the pan optics and I'm just like, man, I would have way too much fun with that. And I probably would be like one of those kids just constantly glued to that, but I'm easily distracted too. So 
Well, um, it's kind of funny that we bring that up. Uh, the technology has changed dramatically, and uh, people say, "Well, it's pretty unfair to the fish that you you got all this technology in you. Uh, you're going to know exactly where the fish are at." Yes, you 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 get the technology has improved, and it has increased the odds dramatically in the favor of the fishermen. However, there's still one thing that has to happen: the fish still have to bite, and the fish is still ultimately in control of that. Yeah, and you got to figure out what they're biting on that day. And that's like right. you said, that's like the hardest thing to do. Um, so we kind of hit on walleye perch, panfish, the biggest, you know, it's kind of the biggest top three, I would say that people are really trying to focus on. Some people really go for those bullhead or catfish. Um, but let's kind of talk about, we have across the state of South Dakota, we've got a lot of different bodies of water. And I think the biggest difference is we got our prairie potholes over here on the Eastern side of the state, but then we've also got the ice on the, in the Missouri river, which is kind of opening up a little bit now. Um, but are there any differences this time of year from fishing, you know, kind of the river system versus the pothole region and the glacial lakes I, region? I, I fall back to, uh, again, the oxygen levels of the lakes. Uh, you know, what this time of year, when we're talking about all winter long, uh, this year hasn't been that bad as far as the amount of snow on some of these uh, bodies of water. But anytime on a typical year, you get a lot of snow on top of that ice, uh, that uh, prohibits or limits the amount of sunshine that gets in there. And so then that uh, depletes the amount of oxygen that's available to those lakes. Uh, and that will, you know, uh, adversely affect those fishermen that are fisher, uh, the fish that are out there, uh, that they're going to be more lethargic and in some cases may actually winter kill. Uh, in the Missouri River system, you're not going to have that because you're going to be dealing with constant water flow, you know, uh, uh, unless you're in a basin uh, along the river or whatever, but pretty much uh, the oxygen level is going to be hold, holding pretty consistently uh, along the river because you have moving water. Uh, and so the fish are going to be a little bit more active. You don't have to worry about winter kill out there for the most part. Uh, so that's the advantage. However, the ice conditions on the Missouri River are dramatically different than what they are in the prairie uh, pothole lakes uh, of eastern South Dakota. Yeah, that's uh, there's been some unfortunate accidents this year. I've, I've heard quite a bit about. Um, so since you bring that up, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, as, as their temps start to warm up and our ice starts to, I guess, rot here in, in, across uh, across the state, um, what kind of safety considerations um I guess what to watch out for because you know during the year we're looking out for ice heaves we're watching out for those springs um any special considerations for this time of year for safety well i will uh, i will tell you the same thing i tell everyone all the time is there is ne never uh, such a thing as safe ice i don't care what time of year it is you need to respect uh the ice because uh there are certain situations that are some uh, some of them are out of your control uh, but again, you need to make sure that you have the, uh, you take the safety precautions throughout the entire year uh, to ensure not only your safety, but the safety of the people that are with you at that point in time. So, you know, this time of year, you know what uh, I would say the biggest challenge that we have is getting on and off the ice. Uh, and uh, usually this time of year, the, the accesses to the lakes are the first to go uh, because of the fact that uh, as the snow melts off the ground, the ground becomes brown and it heats up quicker. And so then once that occurs, uh, the shorelines are gonna start melting away and you're gonna lose that, that safer ice walking out there. And that's why a lot of times people will use two by fours to walk out to that safe ice because you get out to the main lake and you've got you know, 15, 20 inches of ice out there, but along shore, there's nothing. Uh, so again, the challenge is really realizing, making sure that you have the safety equipment with you at all times. Uh, such as, you know, a, a rope, a flotation device, uh, such as a flotation suit. Uh, also, ice picks are very valuable. And also remembering that the ice conditions that you started with in the morning are going to be probably drastically different than what you end up with during the day. Uh, and also, I, you know, it is a, a continuing challenge to let people know that uh, just because you drove out on the ice today doesn't mean you can drive out on the ice tomorrow. Uh, and this time of year, especially in the spring, is very much that case because the ice conditions change dramatically uh, within hours. Right. And so with these dramatic uh, shifts in the ice conditions, is there somewhere South Dakotans can go? Is there a website or uh, an ice report somewhere that they can look up before they go out that day? No, there really isn't. Uh, and then the main reason is because they change so quick, it, you can't keep that up to date. Uh, you know, and all the information that I get, you know, such as the fishing reports or ice, ice conditions or whatever, that's yesterday's news. Uh, you know, it, it's not valid for today. Uh, 
so uh, what I always tell people is don't don't rely upon someone else's uh, piece of news. Find out for yourself. Go out there, drill holes. Uh, find out if the ice is honeycombed. You know, if the ice is honeycombed, it's not as safe and not as uh, strong as what it was, let's say, a month ago. So again, you need to take that in consideration. And uh, uh, one thing I always uh, keep in mind, especially this time of year, is that if there's a bunch of ice, a bunch of snow on top of the ice, and in the middle of the day, all of a sudden you see water up on top of the ice from the melted snow. And then by the time that you leave, you don't see any water at all. Well, guess where that water went? It went through the ice. And so that honeycombs that ice pretty quick. And again, it, it impacts the structural integrity of that ice. Yeah, absolutely. That's always a, I run into some scary situations just due to my ignorance. So getting that information out there is really important. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up this little bit of late season ice. Uh, some last minute tips. What would you say is a, the number one, if you could give one tip for success for ice fishermen this time of year, what would it be? For this time of year is just go out and, and have fun. I, I mean, I, I, it sounds stupid or whatever, uh, but you know, I, I always say, if you're, if you're taking your family out there to go walleye fishing, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself. Uh, if you want to exp expose your kids to walleye fishing, uh, or to fishing, the last thing you want to do is to take them walleye fishing because you're going to be disappointed. Uh, the best thing to do is to, you know, have them catch any type of fish to, to get that excitement going. But to increase your success, again, be willing to adjust according, uh, on that day. Do your research ahead of time, such as uh, knowing what the lake is, knowing what the lake is doing, knowing the ice conditions as much as you possibly can, and having enough tools in your toolbox uh, to be flexible, to allow you to change up and uh, not to sit in the same spot all the time. It's just no different than the summertime that it, how many people go out in the boat and stay anchored in that one spot, come hell or high water, by God, I'm staying there, whether or not I'm catching fish or not. Well, if you're not catching fish, guess what? Most people will move to a different spot. Uh, and that's the same thing that you need to do with uh, ice fishing is that don't don't pin yourself down to one location. If you're catching fish there, by all means, go for it. If not, move to a different spot to find those active fish. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, you know, the biggest uh, biggest thing is how you define success. If it's just getting out there and fishing, then you're going to find it no matter what. Uh, and I think that's uh, overlooked a lot of the times. But I mean, a better, let's not forget that a day on the ice or a day fishing or a day hunting is always better than a day in the office. <laughs> no doubt about that. And I always tell uh, uh, tell my boys the same thing is that when I'm out fishing, if I don't catch a, a fish, I, I'm okay with that. My de de definition of success is spending time with them uh, away from all the nuances and all the stresses of everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't be unsuccessful if, that, if that's what you're looking for. So Let's get into the kind of the next portion, which is early open water. And you kind of hit on a little bit about as these water temps warm up, the walleye are going to start to spawn. The perch have already probably started, if not completed. I guess I don't know a ton about the perch spawn. Um, but as these walleye or as the ice starts to come off um, and the water temps heat up, when are we looking for the, the walleye to spawn? What temps do they hit? And once again, are they hitting the rock piles or are they changing their structure a little bit? Well, I think the main thing that a lot of times people will uh, refer to as walleye spawn here in South Dakota is when the Missouri River starts taking off. Uh, you will see a number of people that start, uh, excuse me, fishing from shore, uh, throwing uh, float, uh, floating originally flo original floating wraps up along the shoreline because uh, at night those walleyes will come up and you'll hear all the splashing that's taking place. The females will come up there and lay the eggs and uh, and the males will come up and lay their spawn there and uh, and so it's usually kind of a, a frenzy, so to speak, when it comes to, to, the, to the bite. And usually when that bite occurs in the Missouri River, it's going to be drastically different, again, than with the uh, glacial lakes or the uh, lakes of eastern South Dakota because the water temperatures are different. Uh, typically, walleyes will spawn in the mid-40s, somewhere thereabouts, give or take a few degrees. Uh, and that, and that time of year uh, varies from year to year, depending on how quick the ice comes off. And I think a year like this year, uh, with the temperatures that we're currently experiencing, I wouldn't be surprised that the, the ice is going to come off pretty quick and the lakes are going to warm up fairly quick. Uh, but again, that could change because you, what, let's say by middle of March, you know, we have no ice, but we get hit with a snowstorm as we typically do in South Dakota in March and the April timeframe. That will, again, decrease the water temperature. So uh, water temperature has a role to play with the spawn, but also the calendar uh, and the 
the, the solar cycle has a, uh, you know, a role to play with Spawn 2. Uh, so those all things come into, come into play, uh, but usually the, some of the best bites early on in the spring is uh, early ice out. You get out there and find those active fish, they're going to go out and, and find that oxygen again and get ready for the spawn as well. So let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the solar cycle, and I think that's a, a, a something a lot of people don't really know about. I don't know much about it by any means. But how does that affect the bite? Is it, is it as the days are lengthening, it kind of just activates the fish a little bit more, like something in the, in their endocrine system, or or how does that affect them? Well, it, it, I don't know if it really affects them so much. I you know I I haven't talked to too many fish lately to find out really. <laughs> uh, you know, and the whole, the whole key that we're trying to talk about what I what I find so interesting is that everyone wants to know what the fish are doing. We're talking about an animal that has a brain smaller than the size of a pea. And we, you know, and we're trying to figure this thing out. So uh, what I always say is that really what the lengthening of the day does uh, also allows more fishermen to go out there, you know, and, and target those areas and spend a lot more time on that body of water than, than they otherwise would be. Uh, but also early in the spring, really what it does, it uh, helps oxygenate the water, uh, re-energizes uh, re, uh, the plant growth. And when you get those plants that start turning green, guess what? Those green plants start providing oxygen. And so the fish become uh, more uh, active. So all those things come into play that just like things greened up, you know, on our grass, uh, everything greens up uh, underneath the water as well. And that uh, really gets the life cycle of the fish more active at that point in time. And so as far as the water temps go, how does that, you know, is there like a hard, fast set, you know, I guess, yeah. Bass usually start to spawn, uh, I think, gosh, about like late uh, upper 50s, early 60s or so. What about walleye? What is there a certain temperature we're looking for for them? Well, mid 40s to around 50 is, uh, again, what typically people will say. But again, it, it varies from uh, body of water to body of water, location, you know, uh, uh, you know, in the state or in the upper Midwest. <clears throat> the, the walleyes will spawn differently and uh, Lake of the Woods than they, they do down here in uh, uh, the plains of South Dakota. Was, in some cases, they may even spawn uh, underneath under the ice. That many times pike do that. Uh, so again, it, it varies from location to location and from year to year. Uh, but again, as a general rule of thumb, you're looking right around there in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And you briefly kind of touched on it earlier as those females come up into the shallows and kind of more towards the evening. And you said a good, I think you said a, a good bait to throw in that is like a, the floating wrap. Um, yeah, that's, that's for more the Missouri river system. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people will use that, but also that I've used it uh, for uh, lakes as well. If I'm fishing from shore, uh, but if I'm, let's say, out in my boat and I'm casting into the shallows, I may not use the, that floating wrap. I may start with that, but if they're not liking it, uh, guess what? I'm going to try to change it up. I may go to a plastic and a jig. I may go to a, a Selmo Hornet, a shallow running sh a Selmo Hornet. Uh, so again, having those multiple lures or jigs in your box uh, will make it a little bit more effective and efficient for you uh, to make sure that you, your success is a little bit better than you otherwise would be. Right. And so that's from like, so I guess, you know, you're kind of looking at, there's almost, I've always thought of it like two different classes of fishermen. You got the fishermen who can afford a boat or put all their life into a boat because, <laughs> you know, a boat just stands for a bust out of another thousand. I'm finding that out right now. Yeah. Um, and then you got this fishermen like I was in college who you, we do a lot of wader fishing. And I think that's huge in early spring, especially kind of in that dry lake one and two regions where we, we hit a lot of them wader fishing. Um, are there differences in the baits you're going to use between or how you're presenting things between fishing from shore or weighted fishing and then going from a boat? Well, in a way, again, it depends on the time of the year, but let's say in the spring, uh, you know, uh, people will uh, fish from shore, like you said, using waders, the main reason why is those fish are coming up into the shallows to spawn. Uh, and so it's a little bit easier to catch them from, from shore, but you get into the middle of summer uh, July and August, you're not going to use waders. You're not going to catch many fish from shore at that point in time because those fish have gone deeper because the water uh, temperature has risen to such a degree that's forcing them to cooler well, uh, cooler uh, temperatures. Uh, not all the case, all the time, uh, though, but for the most part, that's the, the general, te general tendency that the fish will do. But as far as a, a lure or a crankbait that you're going to use in the, from the boat, you know, if I'm casting from a boat, it's not going to be any different than what you would cast uh, when you're in waders. 
but uh, and I'm in the boat. And if I'm using crankbaits and I'm not casting, I'm going to be trolling with them. And the only reason why I'm trolling with them is I'm covering more water. Uh, instead of just standing there and casting, you know, let's say 180 degrees, I'm able, able to cover more water and look for those more active fish. And all I'm doing is trying to replicate the appearance of a of, of bait fish swimming by that walleye or whatever it may be to trigger a strike. Uh, so again, that's all I'm trying to do when I'm trolling is trying to look for those active fish and cover more water. And are you covering like different water column depths at that time, like different levels? Sure. I'm, I'm using my, uh, again, our modern technology that we call, you know, sonars and depth finders uh, to look for the, where those fish are located. Uh, I'm not going to uh, troll an area where I'm not seeing any fish. I'm going to see, you know, first find the fish, target them, uh, and then drop down my different presentations to see which one they like at that particular day. But yeah, you're exactly right. I'm not going to stick to one depth. Uh, if I have structure in that lake, I may uh, first start with that structure or anything like that to, that I know where the fish are hanging out at. Uh, but still, I'm, again, I'm not going to stay in one location. I'm going to be moving around at different depths, different locations, trying to find those active fish. And when you're using, using those electronics, like you said, what view are you typically looking at? Are you using the side view? Or are you using, or, or, you know, I guess I don't know which electronics you have or which ones you like to use, but. Well, if I'm, if I'm, re, uh, let's say, uh, searching things out, if I'm just kind of strolling, you know, just cruising along, I'm using my side imaging. Uh, I think side imaging has been a great asset to electronics and to fishermen nowadays is that, uh, I'm not only seeing fish now below me, I'm seeing fish off to the side. Uh, and how many times did in years, years before this that we just flew by those fish because they weren't appearing underneath our sonar. And I mean, underneath, it was underneath our boat. Uh, now with the, the side imaging, it makes things a lot easier. We're able to, to see different structures and see if there's fish hanging out in those uh, structures. And then, uh, so then, yeah, I'm gonna use that to begin with. And I'm gonna continue to use that throughout the entire uh, time on the body of water. I don't think there's ever a time right now that I do not use my side imaging. I'm always using it no matter what I'm doing at that point in time. Yeah, it's definitely a tool that's changed the game and, and it's a it's a lot of fun. And I, I'm kind of a nerd and I like to watch like the major league fishing and all those and just watching those guys use it, use their electronics is absolutely fascinating because they know it so well. And I think that's a huge reason they're so, so successful anymore. Well, they were always successful, but it's definitely changed the way they they approach their competition that day. Well, and I think the one thing that we need to make sure that we, you know, because everyone lo loves watching those things and loves watching fishing shows and that, you got to remember that uh, when you're watching a TV fishing show, that, that's not just one trip out on that body of water. They may, you know, clip together, edit together three or four different trips, uh, and it may look like they've had one heck of a day, but it's actually one heck of a three or four days. But also, don't compare yourself with those professional fishermen because, Guess what? They're called professional fishermen for a reason. That's what they do for their job uh, in many cases. And so they spend plenty of time on that body of water. When we're talking about a weekend warrior, as far as us are concerned, where you can get out when you can get out, you take advantage of the time that you have. Don't be criticizing or, or, or you know, coming down on yourself because you're not catching fish like uh, Jason Mitchell is or whoever it may be because of the fact that you don't, you're not spending as much time on the body of water than what the, those other guys are. Yeah, we can't all be Kevin Van Dam or Bill Dance. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I think we all wish we could. I definitely, I know I do. Fishing or hunting for a living, I think, is a lot of people's, a lot of people's goal. But nobody's, not everybody's going to reach here. Hardly anyone is. Well, let's put it this way: if it was easy, though, at the same time, there'd be a heck of a lot more people that would be doing it. And uh, there's more people that have tried to tried to do something like that and realize, you know, you can't really do it. You have to. You have to be dedicated, you have to uh, have a lot of time on your hands, and you have to be willing to make some sacrifices. And to some of these guys, they've, they've done it and made a career out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, you know, it's, it's not all easy. There's a lot of luck involved, too, and a ton of hard work. And like you said, a lot of sacrifices. And um, an understanding spouse. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're uh, not going to have one for very long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, little, that was a little bunny trail that we followed, but getting back that I just have one little, one more question, I guess. And this is kind of more of a comparison and you touched on it a little bit, um, when we talked about the ice fishing, um, but weather fronts, you know, you being a, um, full-time weatherman or meteorologist, sorry, weatherman's probably a, a slight to you, but meteorologist, <laughs> yep. um, how do weather fronts affect the fishing in late ice 
and early open water. Is it very similar and is it the same throughout the year or is it different now at this time of the year? Well, what you're talking about is not just, not just the weather fronts, you're talking about pressure and air pressure affects fishing more in the winter time than it does in the summertime. And the reason why is because you have the ice on the water, ice on the lakes and that ice takes up water volume. And so uh, those fish feel the impacts or the effects of pressure by far more during the wintertime than what they do in the summertime. They still feel it in the summertime and you need to adjust to it, uh, but it's more amplified during the wintertime. And what are those effects? Well, when you are dealing with, let's say, well, the old saying that fish bite the least when the wind is from the east, okay? Wind, uh, wind from the west, fish bite the best. That old saying is very, very true and it's related to pressure that when a cold front comes sweeping through the area, before that cold front reaches the area, you're gonna have wind out of the south. And usually it's a very strong wind and, the, and you're gonna have some clouds up in the sky. That's when the pressure is falling. So when you have a south to southwest wind, the pressure is falling the most and the fish are gonna be biting the best. The, the old saying that fish bite best right before the storm is very, very true because that's when the pressure is the lowest. And so the, pressure, uh, the fish are gonna be out in the prowl that you don't have to go looking for them, they're gonna be coming to you. But once that front passes through the area uh, and the wind switches around to the north and northwest, that pressure is beginning to rise. And so those fish have to adjust to that. And that's with their bladder. And so their bladder has to adjust to it and enlarge to allow them to impact their buoyancy. And that takes up more space in their body. And so they're not going to be as hungry as what they were before. And they will hug the bottom because they're, they're full. They're, they're very what we call negative. Uh, so any, anytime the wind is out of the north, northwest, and the sky is perfectly clear, that's when your pressure is going to be the highest and when the wind is going to be the lightest. But guess what? That's what the days that most people want to go out fishing is when the sky, and we got plenty of you know, sunny skies and you have light winds, they're thinking, oh, what a great day. Most fishermen, as we say, professional fishermen, when they look at that, they say, oh boy, a high sky like today, it's going to be it's going to be a tough day on the body of water. We're going to have to go looking for those uh, those active fish, and that's where trolling comes into handy or whatever. So again, uh, you know, when we're talking about the impacts of, of weather, there's nothing more that impacts uh, fishing success than weather, and it's one thing that we cannot control. We talk about the electronics, we talk about the jigs and everything else that helps our success, but one thing we can't change is the weather. So the the impacts of that pressure change. It's felt more in the wintertime than what it is in the summertime, but it's still felt. Absolutely. That's a, that's a lot of good wisdom there. That, that, you know, that kind of goes right over my head, but <laughs> that's a, that's a whole different topic. And, and I think you did actually do a full podcast on that alone um, yeah. with uh, those guys from, uh, I can't fish, fish house podcast yep. or whatever it is. Yep. Yep. Um, but that's some good information. I think a lot of people overlook that, but yeah, you do see the most people out when it's the, the nicest days. And, you know, usually people are like, Oh, I didn't catch anything today, but it was a good day to be out. Well, <laughs> once again, well, how now, do you... and I always say, tell people don't, because uh, people come into my store and they ask me, okay, Todd, what's the pressure? Can I, should I go out? You go out when you can go out. Uh, you know, you don't, don't pick your days, uh, go out and enjoy the time that you can get away from your job or from everything else. Uh, and just be willing to, uh, you know, to be flexible, to adjust your presentations, to, to, to not stick with the same thing that worked yesterday, because guess what? There was something that changed yesterday. You may not know it, but one thing that did change from the day before is the pressure. Uh, and so just because you caught fish yesterday doesn't mean you're going to be, the, you know, a successful day using the same type of technique. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And once again, remember that a day out fishing is better than a day in the office. Um, yep. So, one last question about that, I guess. So everybody has a smartphone nowadays. They can look at the weather app and, and on the weather channel app that I use, which is the weather channel app, there's a spot on there where you can look at the pressure. What in this region, I guess, in Eastern South Dakota, I'm sure it's different kind of everywhere. What would you say is like a hard and fast number of low pressure versus high pressure? Is that kind of based on the weather front? That's, that's the problem that people have. They're looking for an exact number. There is no exact number. Uh, that what you're looking at is the tendency. What's the change in that pressure? Uh, is it falling? Is it rising? And the way you can do that, and you don't need to have a weather app. You know, uh, I fall back to my grandfather was a farmer and uh, years ago and still today, the best weather forecasters out around are farmers because they are looking at the sky. They're looking at all the clues that they're telling them that the good Lord's telling you what is actually going to happen. And we need to be aware of that uh, when we're out in the boat too. 
that if you're, again, if the wind is out of the south, and now let's say you go out on a day like today and the wind's out of the south and it's 10 mile an hour wind, and by the afternoon it starts increasing to 20, 25, that means the pressure's falling more and more rapidly because the, the front is getting closer. That's what's causing the wind speed to increase. And then all of a sudden, if you see that wind switch from the south to the north, then you realize, oh, the front came through, and guess what? That impact of that pressure change won't be felt right away, but it will be felt the next day the, hot, the most because of the fact that's when the, the pressure will be the highest. So pay attention to the wind. Pay attention to the cloud cover. If the sky is cloudy, your pressure is probably the lowest. Um, when the sky is clear, the pressure is probably the highest. Man, that's, that's some awesome tidbits of knowledge there. And, and I'd love to talk about that all day. So we might have to have you back on. <laughs> but, <laughs> the keywords have to have me back on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's some uh, great information. We got both about late season ice fishing and, and some early open water. Um, we'll kind of get wrapped up here. And I've got kind of an oddball question for you. And based on our conversation, I might kind of know what you're thinking. Uh, but so the question I have is if you get to go out for, let's say you got three days and for whatever reason, you can only go fishing for three days out of the entire year and you can pick whatever three days and you don't have to pick them ahead of time. What would you say? What were you looking for? What conditions would you go out for? And, and how would you choose those three days? <clears throat> well, uh, way I would be looking at is number one time of the year, uh, whatever, you know, but let's just, uh, if we take that out of the equation, I'm going to be looking at uh, temperature. Uh, temperatures are going to be fairly moderate, but let's say I'm I'm looking in the, in the spring, summer. I'm going to be looking at uh, falling pressure, uh, a south wind, but not too strong where all of a sudden I'm having to worry about bowl control and, and things like that. Uh, but then what I'm also going to be doing is where I'm going to be looking in the spring for casting up for walleyes in, in the shallows. Uh, I love casting uh, for walleyes. I when we go up to Canada each year. That's the one thing I love to do is sit there and just cast for the walleyes because I love feeling that bite. I grew up uh, with a red and white bobber with a, uh, a you know a bronze uh, Aberdeen hook to catch fish, and I love still feeling that bite. And, uh, and that's what would be my best thing that I would love to do is uh, falling pressure, casting wall for walleyes in the shallows. Absolutely, it's a lot of fun, and I'm probably the opposite. I'd love to go to <laughs> love to go bass fishing and and uh, late spring, I guess. Yeah. Um, or, or fall, fall fishing for bass is the best, I guess that that's kind of my favorite. Um, so one last question on top of that, if you could pick one bait to fish the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, one bait it's going to be casting jigs. Uh, again, just because I love feeling the bite. I, I love feeling that little tap, 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 or that you know, wham, you know, what do you, you know, whoa, okay, that gets your attention. And uh, that's just one of those things that I love doing. So casting jigs with minnows or plastics, one of the two, but that's going to be what I'm, what I'm going to love. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I think that's just staple in everybody's tackle box. All right. That's some good information all around. Um, so let's wrap it up here with uh, how can people, if they want to find out more, if they want to come visit you at the store, where can they find you? What kind of services do you offer? And uh, how can how can you help the people in South Dakota? Yeah, again, I own uh, Dakota Angler here in Sioux Falls. The address is 1120 East Benson Road. Our phone number is uh, 605-336-9132. Uh, if you're into social media, we have a number of different social media sources. We have you know Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter. Uh, probably by the time you know a year from now, we'll have more than that. Who knows with social media? But then we also have a website. Uh, dakotaangler.com so that uh, all our inventory that we have at the store is also available on our online store on our website so that if you have if you can't make it to the store check us out online and we can ship it out to you the next day uh, and I, I pride ourselves on having some of the biggest selection around uh, that one advantage that we have uh, compared to a big box store is that we uh, you know we have different kinds of lures we don't we're not married to one certain brand or anything like that we offer uh, people uh, the different things that work around this area. And plus, we offer the expertise. Uh, so feel free to stop on by, check out the store, ask us questions, how to use certain things, what we would suggest. Uh, talk to me about the weather, talk to me about whatever you want to, but that's what we're there for, is to make sure that the people get what they're looking for, not just what the products, but the service that they're looking for. And uh, if they can't come into the store to find out about how the fishing is, don't you offer a uh, weekly fishing report? 
Yeah, we call it the two minute fishing report. <laughs> and I take the, uh, all kinds of grief for that two minute fishing report because the video ends up to be about five minutes. <laughs> and I always say that the uh, the two minute the fishing report itself is two minutes, but then I also offer you know a, a thing that's called Todd's Tackle Tips, talking a little bit about the various things that uh, you can do out there, and also a, a chance of uh, of showing kids, uh, showing people when they catch fish, such as kids or adults, that they send the photos in to me. Uh, it's my t chance uh, to to showcase them. So we all add that into the two minute fishing report, which makes the video out to be five minutes. But usually Wednesday mornings, that's available on our website at dakotaangler.com and also on our social media feed as well. And if, and if you haven't gone online to watch those fishing reports, they are full of fantastic information. Um, so definitely go check that out. Go visit Todd in the store and uh, you'll uh, have some good success and he can give you some great tips. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, again, look forward to, to talking to people throughout the entire year. Hopefully people can come to, to the Ice Institute in uh, November uh, here in Sioux Falls. If you want more information feel about that, or if you want to be a vendor at the, uh, at the show, feel free to give us a call uh, and reach out to us and we'll help you out. Absolutely. And, and like he said, be on the lookout for that Ice Institute stuff. Uh, that's a really fun show. But thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate your time. And thank you for your uh, wise words of wisdom. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of a double, double negative, I guess. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see about maybe I'll talk to you in the future, maybe doing that pressure and weather front podcast. That's fine. I'm, uh, you know how to reach me. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. And that is a wrap, man. I tell you guys what, he probably has forgotten more about fishing than I will ever know myself. And I am fired up to get out and get my boat on the water and throw some fish in the live well. Like he said, uh, go see him at the store. Go visit his Facebook, Instagram page. Give him a follow. Check out all the resources he puts out. And he puts out some awesome resources, especially that fishing report. Man, he goes over hot lakes, some ideas you can use for tackle, and uh, just where to go and have fun. And, and like we said, just get out there, get some lines wet, and, and spend some time with friends and family. Uh, so support a local business. Go see the guys and gals at Dakota Angler. And while you're doing that, go ahead and check out the South Dakota Unlimited social media pages. Please subscribe to this podcast if you like it and want to hear more. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you have any ideas of any things you want to hear on this podcast or want people you want me to interview, let me know and I'll do my best to make it happen. All right, until next time, get out there and enjoy this beautiful state we live in and uh, tight lines to all those who are going fishing. <laughs>